0: know your name, I swear I do. It's on the tip of my tongue. Sorry, what did you say? I've known you for how long? Your face is so familiar, but everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer Speaks, and um, I just have to let you know I'm still fighting the crud, so my voice is a little froggy today, but I think, I don't think, I know we're going to have a great conversation with Scott Taylor today, so um, hang with us through this. Um, before I introduce Scott, though, I always like to um, tell our new listeners a little bit about Alzheimer Speaks, and bottom line, uh, we are an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. We're also seen kind of as a, a media model um, because of the uh, our large audience that we have in terms of raising voice um, regarding uh, dementia and living well with it. We believe that just by having these everyday conversations um, with With people like you and I who are in the trenches with this disease, if they're living with it or working with it, that's really the only way we think uh, we're going to be able to remove the stigmas attached to memory loss and help people continue to live purpose-filled lives, both those diagnosed and their families. At our core, we believe collaboration is the only way we're actually going to win this battle against dementia, and I know that's working thanks to all of you. You see, your likes, your clicks, and your shares have just had a huge, huge impact on Alzheimer's Speaks and on the world. You are the ones that got us named the number one influencer online by ShareCare and Dr. Office. You are the ones that got us recognized by Maria Schreiber as an architect of change. And uh, just yesterday, uh, Oprah recognized us as a, a health hero. And again, those accolades aren't just for us. They're for all of us because it really is a joint venture in terms of of reaching people who need information, as a daughter whose mother lived with the disease for 30 years, I was very frustrated and felt really isolated like so many people with this disease. And I wanted to make a difference. And that's why Alzheimer Speaks was created, to allow us to work together, to raise everybody's voice um, so that we can learn from one another We can challenge one another and we can move forward at a much faster pace. So I hope you will continue to like not only our our radio show, but our blog, our website, our YouTube channels, all the different posts that we put out, the Dementia Chats interviews where I interview people that actually are living and diagnosed with the disease Every time you push that out to your sphere, you are helping raise awareness and getting information that is so badly needed to individuals. Um, and as we all know, nobody's going to grab the information till they're ready. But it's easier to grab the information when you think it's more of the norm than not. So again, I... Um, I just want to thank each and every one of you on that. I also want to do an update on our dementia-friendly cruise um, that we just got back from. We went to um, the Caribbean November 11th and 18th, and there has been a lot of confusion um, because our... our, um, Travel agent Kathy Schultz with Elite Cruises and Vacation is is planning um, several other dementia friendly cruises and I just want to be very clear that Alzheimer Speaks is not involved in those and nor will we be in the future um, and we will uh, we will and we are looking into doing more dementia friendly travel, but that will be under the name Dementia-Friendly Travel with Lori LeBay or Dementia-Friendly Travel with Alzheimer's Speaks just to make sure that it is is clear. Um, But we just felt that we needed to separate um, ourselves uh, because our our idea of dementia-friendly was, I think, a little bit, uh, a lot different, and we want to make sure that you we're know, meeting the needs of the people out there. Though everyone had a fantastic time, um, the evaluations came back very, very positively. I just think there's, there's more that we can do, and, and that's all I'm going to say on that, other than I, I can't thank my program team enough, Lori Shue and Mary How, uh, Howard, Michael Allen Bogan, um, Harry Urban, Becky Watson, and Cindy Lazinski, They were absolutely beyond fabulous. Um, what a great team effort uh, we had there. Well, let's go ahead and introduce our guest here today. And again, very excited um, to have Scott Taylor with us. We are going to be talking about Empathy, Vulnerability, and Acceptance. Um, Scott is the founder and the creative director of Color Pop, an art and design firm based in um, Tulsa, Oklahoma. He has also um, he's also a writer and a speaker, um, and he travels around um, talking about empathy and vulnerability and developing emotional literacy, which I. Can't wait to have this discussion because I am so in line and in tune with what he believes. He has written a book called Jacob in the Cloak about trauma and emotional literacy that will be coming out soon. And towards the end of the program, we'll probably get into that a little bit more. So welcome, Scott. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. So fantastic to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, you know, every every guest I try to ask uh, this first question, and that is, have you ever been touched by a family or friend with a diagnosis of dementia?
1: Yeah, I absolutely have. I mean, my, my mother, who lives here in Oklahoma, uh, close to me in an assisted living facility, a memory care facility, um, has dementia, and she has had it for about three years now. Uh, you could argue that it came on a little bit before the official diagnosis, but, you know, we weren't really sure what was just her forgetting and what was dementia. But, yeah, my, my mother um, had dementia.
0: Okay. And um, can you, do you have siblings or, or uh, is there a father present? Uh, is, she, is she married? I'm just wondering um, can, uh, kind of your support background there.
1: Sure. No, uh, I don't. I don't have any siblings. You know, I, I like to joke that my parents only had sex one time. I don't think that's probably true, but <laughs> 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 they were good after that. We, we are, we're done. <laughs> but uh, no, no siblings. No siblings. Um, uh, my, my father passed away of cancer in, in 2005 when I was 20 years old. My parents divorced when I was 16, and my mom uh, went to live in Virginia with some family
0: mm-hmm.
1: and her family. And then my dad moved to New Jersey where he was originally from and lived out the rest of his life, taking care of his parents and my grandparents. And then they all died around the same time. Like his, his father and mother, my grandparents and him, they all died around the same three month time, time period.
0: So oh it was my kind gosh. of a,
1: yeah, yeah. It was a pretty rough season for little Scotty.
0: Yeah, I bet. I bet. Well, it's it's very helpful just to kind of know background there. So I appreciate you sharing that uh, with our audience. Um, were there signs that your mom had dementia? Did you know that before a formal diagnosis, or you know, how did you, how did you recognize it?
1: No, there weren't signs of dementia per se. My mom, I, she always struggled with mental illness. She always had mental illness. Um, she had it before she got married and before she had me. And then after I was born, it really intensified. Um, and so that brought with it a lot of erratic behavior, some uh, schizophrenic tendencies, you know, just kind of growing. That was just kind of normal life. And we adjusted as much as possible. And my dad, um, man, he, he was so good at helping me understand because my mom was kind of detached growing up. Like, emotionally, like, she fulfilled her role, and she loved me, and I could tell, but, like, that, those sweet little tender mother-child moments, you know, weren't as present, mm-hmm. just because I just, she wasn't able to access that part of her, um, sure. and he did a great job of helping me to understand, like, hey, the reason why this is not happening is because of this psychological cognitive thing, not because she doesn't want to or wouldn't wouldn't want to if she could. And so helped me to develop even at a young age a really healthy understanding of psychological barriers and cognitive and neurological obstacles to normal living that are not personal. You know, I don't take it from like, oh, this is like just like I can't fly. You can't be mm-hmm. mad at me for not being able to fly. I just can't fly. Sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it just is what yeah. it is. It's not a choice, you know? And so, and by the same token, it's that kind of thing. You just can't, you can't access that. So I don't take it personally. So, so she always had those things, but she always knew who I was, always knew who everybody else was. Um, and so there there were never any signs leading up to that until she started forgetting and she just started looking at me and other people like straight in our faces and being like you're not so and so you know, you're someone else. Mm-hmm. Okay. mm
0: like, Oh okay, okay. Okay. Well interesting. How did you how did you cope with it emotionally?
1: As a kid? Mm. Mm-hmm. Um I didn't. <laughs> I mean, I, like I said, my dad was really great. at helping me to understand that it wasn't personal, but I didn't talk to him really about how it bothered me or how it affected me because I didn't want him to feel bad that the situation was the way it was since there was nothing that he could do to change mm-hmm. it. And so I didn't really talk about it, and I just tried to make life kind of as normal as possible. I mean, I, I remember one time being in McDonald's. Oh, and – On top of the psychological things that my mom had, she also had epilepsy. So she would have seizures, you know, intermittently. And I remember one time we were in McDonald's, and she was kind of doing some erratic behavior. She had some paranoid stuff that would come in, and she felt like people were talking about her or stuff like that. And then she just had a seizure right in the middle of um, uh, McDonald's. in the full line, we were waiting in line for our food. And I remember being very young and being so embarrassed and so scared and also, like, just totally, like, mortified this moment that's happening right now that I just, like, hid under a table while it all went down. Because everyone was, like, running over there trying to help her. And I I don't know. I just was, like, overwhelmed by that moment. And so I, I think I just coped by, like, trying to stay one step ahead of it emotionally, like, not really processing it and just trying to pretend that it was as normal as it possibly could have could have been I think sure. looking back retrospectively okay. I'd probably say that was my technique
0: Okay okay um <clears throat> do you remember um yeah, like the range of emotions in terms of you know once your mom was diagnosed you know what you felt or did you kind of pick one and stay with it or Yeah
1: yeah so so that was with that growing up. I mean, obviously, the dementia didn't come until a few years ago. I was well into adulthood, and I remember, I remember the the day specifically when I really realized that she had dementia, and uh, and I had, I had gone out and I was bringing her from Virginia to Oklahoma uh, to stay in the assisted living facility here. And I remember sitting there with her, and she was – I went in to say hello, and she was polite but not um, warm, mm-hmm. which is, you know, weird because you're like, hey, like, you haven't seen me in a while. You're like, I'm your son, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And so um, – and I could tell that she kept looking at me, but she wasn't saying, like, who are you. But she just was looking at me with different eyes. And, um, and then my aunt, who is amazing, her sister, who has, was taking care of her uh, while I wasn't up in Virginia, was kind of bringing me up to speed and telling me, like, these things have been developing. And I remember thinking, life's never going to be the same from this point on. Like, like it, and whatever my relationship was with my mom is going to be fundamentally different, and I'm going to have to figure out how to adjust to that in as healthy as way possible. And I remember that feeling and just being like, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know what this is going to be like, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's um, when you know things are going to change, but you don't know how they're going to change. um, Well, and you don't, um, don't
1: really know how much is gone either. Like you're like, okay, something's off. You know, but you don't know to the extent. You know, you only really begin to realize the full extent of memory loss or disconnect as you have more and more conversation, more and more engagements. So at the beginning, you don't really know kind of what you're in for,
0: you know? Yep. Yep, exactly, exactly. Um, what's been the hardest thing for, for you to adjust to with, uh, with your mom having dementia?
1: I think... The hardest thing for me to adjust to has been the feeling, my feeling of, of feeling uh, bad that she is feeling forgotten. Like, because she'll, because when I go visit her now, I'm getting a little bit ahead of the story, but, you know, she, she has assigned me a different, you know, basically avatar. You know, she's decided I'm this other person that she has created in her mind with the first and last name that she knows and she interacts with me with that name. And so she doesn't think that I'm her son. And so when I I go, she'll say things to me like, Scott's going to come get me soon and we're going to all live together at his house.
0: Mm -hmm. She says that
1: every time, you know. And so for me, the hardest thing is her, is me feeling like she's over there thinking, why didn't Scott ever come to visit me? Even though I go, and visit her often, um, you know. It just she's feeling like he's not here. He never comes. Mm-hmm. Why is that? You know, um, because I, I think a lot of people, um, maybe not a lot, but I know some that I've talked to. It's almost like the dementia really affects them personally. They're like, they're like, they they, they feel so like, oh man, like why, why aren't you remembering? Like, what? you know? And and I, I think the the foundation that my dad. Laid early on, helped me to see like you know this isn't a personal thing. You know she's like unable to access this. You know it's not it's not you know woe is me. It's like oh man it sucks for her. You know.
0: Mhm. Wow, oh, your dad was a very smart man. Very he smart was. man. Yeah, because a lot of people don't get that. For some people never get it, and uh, some people it takes a long time before they. Before they truly understand um, Well I mean, you know, I, they, I was
1: going to say I mean, go No I was going to say I remember um, I remember Showing her and this was like The hardest thing for me and I think this is what's hard For people is they're like I don't Understand like when the proof is right there In front of you like I'm showing you birth certificates I'm showing you licenses I'm showing you You know like look at this picture Look at this face like this is the same Person you know it's like it's hard To understand how it's possible that the brain can't access that information for someone whose brain works normally, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's where it's, I think education is so helpful because you begin to see, like, it's not, they're not being obstinate. It's not, it, it, it would be like, I mean, I have three kids, okay? So it would be like someone coming up to me and saying, you don't have any kids. And at first I'd be like politely be like, ha, ha, ha. I do, but, you you know, whatever. But if they kept insisting over and over again, you don't have kids. I know you don't have kids. Look at this thing. Says you don't have kids, I'd be like, okay, guy. I was like, now's enough, okay? I'm done. I know I have kids. Stop trying to convince me of something that's not true. That's how real the reality feels to the person with dementia. So when we're trying to convince them over and over again, even though we mean well, it really comes off very – very pushy and very kind of like I'm trying to kind of start something, you know, it it it, 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 it exacerbates, you know. And that's why mm-hmm. people often with dementia get so angry, you know. So I, I try not to do that, you know. But I but it's hard to, to get your head around the fact like, Hey, this proof is right here, like look, but you're not getting it, you know. Yep.
0: Yeah, exactly. I'd just like to throw out there if anyone is listening and would like to call in with a question or a comment for Scott, um, you can call 323 807 4602. That's 323 870 4602, and we'd be glad to hear your your comment or your question. Um, Scott, do you, was there like a like a ping point with you where you like it's like okay i get it now i'm i'm going to accept this and you know um and and move forward with the disease instead of trying to trying to fight it or trying to justify it or trying to change it
1: yeah there definitely was yeah so i remember for the first several months uh, when my mom was here you know, I would always go, and, and I was advised, you know, to to not um, argue with her, but don't like further elaborate on, you know, like if she thinks if if she thinks something's not true, don't argue with her, but don't like add backstory and make it more real for her. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so and so, just kind of simple, just speak the truth, basically. You know, but don't argue. And, uh, uh-huh. and I was like, okay, I was doing that, I was doing that. Um, but I, what I began to see that was happening is our visits would start out pretty okay. I mean, she still didn't recognize me, but she was being polite. But then when I would bring up, I'd be like, hey, do you remember this? Do you remember that? You remember back in South Carolina where we grew up, and you remember this house and this and that? She, like, knew what I was talking about, but it was strange to her that this stranger, essentially, was trying to talk about her history as if they were there when she knows that they weren't. Which is a mm-hmm. weird thing. I mean, think about it. You know what I mean? Like if someone just walked up to you and was like, hey, do you remember? Da, 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 and you're like, how do you know all that? I don't even know who you are. That's weird. You know? Um, so it was strange for her, and I noticed that she would begin to pull back from me. And I realized, like, man, this is not getting me anywhere. Here's what's happening. I'm getting bummed out. She's getting frustrated. And we're both leaving empty. Right? And so something's mm-hmm. got to be done here. You know, and so I decided, I was like, well, what's more important to me than she, than she sees um, the truth is that she feels my love, that she feels love in general, even if she, it's not the love of her son, because she doesn't think that I'm her son, but that she feels the love of someone that comes and visits her and asks her about her day and hugs her and, and brings her stuff and cares about her. I mean, ultimately, I, I, because I love her, I want her to feel love in life.
0: Mm-hmm. And, so,
1: um, and so I just kind of let uh, – I'm Steve Holcomb. That's my name, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, I just go as Steve Holcomb. And Steve Holcomb goes, and Steve Holcomb hangs out and shoots the breeze. And, you know, and I, I just remember realizing I love my mom. And it's more important to me that she feels love than that she knows the truth. And that was a big turning point for me. And ever since then, it's gotten our, our relationship, her and Steve Holcomb, has gotten a lot mm-hmm. closer and it's been really rich. But that was a big turning point for me to, to make that transition.
0: Wow. Yeah. It's, um, how did, once you made that transition, how did you, how did you feel? Uh, did you feel a shift within yourself?
1: Yeah, I did. It was, it was an acceptance, you know, like you said, it was like, you know, I, I think, I think about the serenity prayer, you know, take the world as it is, not as we would have it, you know, and it's kind of like, Hey, this is not ideal. No one would dispute that, but it is mm-hmm. what it is. Here's the situation. And, and so then the challenge becomes, okay, how do I engage with reality as it is in the healthiest way possible, which I think is uh-huh. what we should always be trying to do as, human beings right you know like whatever happens we just need to engage with it as healthy as possible instead of lamenting the fact that it's already happened because you can't nobody has a time machine it is what it is and so um I when I just decided you know what here's what it is and I'm going to try to figure out what my relationship to my mom looks like in the new reality that has been Mm -hmm. foisted upon both of our lives and once I did that um you know I I don't know like it, it it's different but it's almost not you know like yeah we don't talk about a lot of the history stuff you know but um but how I've kind of woven that in is is I'll bring up like family friends that we all had growing up you know like my like my friends that whose parents were friends with my parents and that kind of thing But I'll just be like, hey, yeah, I know so-and-so in in South Carolina and the city we grew up in. I know so-and-so and so-and-so. And And she'd be like, oh, yeah, I I know them too. And I'd be like, yeah, he's doing this now, he's doing that now. Oh, that's really cool. You know, it's kind of like I'm I'm allowing her to travel down memory lane as much as she wants to without trying to push her on this specific subject of my identity.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, and it allows
1: her to kind of talk about her memories
0: in a way that feels non threatening, you know? Well, and, and isn't it? You know, I respond with my mom when I finally came to acceptance because I always wasn't there. You know, <laughs> people think that I have been because yeah. it was such a long journey, but, you know, I wasn't. I, there were times I was, I was frustrated and sad and um, going through my own grief, you know, of the process of, of losing sure, sure. her. and and what I pictured life to be, which is, I think, totally normal. But then I got to this point where I reveled in her peacefulness. And, you know, my goal was just for her to be peaceful or joyful. You know, I I say safe, happy, and pain-free. Because what more more can you really ask for in life? I mean, if I'm safe, I'm happy, and I'm pain free, that's a pretty dang good life. And so, you know, that's what I made my goal to be, was to help my mom be in that space. And then it would just melt my heart, you know, when she was there. She really pulled me in to be present in the moment and paying attention instead of just scurrying about the day. And, um, and that was just such a huge, huge, huge gift. You know, it just, it, I mean, it changes, it did for me, and I'll ask you, um, for me, it changed my whole outlook on, on life and in what I look for, um, not only in myself, but in others. Did, did it did it have that kind of impact on you
1: absolutely absolutely you know i i think that you know we especially as americans right uh but all all over the world you know we have this we really want things to be normal and right you know like we're mm-hmm. just like you know this is how it's supposed to be and when it's not, we feel like everything's on hold until we get closer to normal or to we get to normal, whatever normal means, you know?
0: Yep. Um,
1: but, but there's a certain really powerful effect, I believe, that, that begins to take hold when you realize nothing is normal and everything is normal. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it just life yeah. is things. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it's like good and bad, right? Well, what, is, what is good? <clears throat> what is bad? There, there really isn't. It just, it is for you. You know, like things happen and you just engage with them, you know. And, of course, I'm not saying, of course, there's, you know, objectively bad things, but an objectively bad thing that can happen to someone can become a good informative thing for you depending on how you choose to engage with it. And so, like, dementia is bad. Dementia sucks, right? But Mm -hmm. but dementia, you know, when it touches someone's life and then it touches the whole family, you realize, like, hey, this is a non-ideal situation, but I'm going to try to – redeem it as much as possible through how i'm engaging with it to 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 make it as good as it possibly can be and um and when i started doing that for my mom it started to um help me to see other things in my life in that same way and and so when something would happen that would be non-ideal or something would go awry i would just be like okay this is my new reality just like when i found out my mom had dementia. I was like, okay, this is my new reality. How do I engage with it in a healthy way? And so mm-hmm. I would try to adopt that same approach um, in dealing with other situations in my life. So yeah, it, it definitely did.
0: Yeah, it's um, it makes life easier when you don't feel like you have to control everything all the time. You know, Ooh, control um, is an addictive drug. Yeah, it really is. I mean, when you when you think about, yeah, I, I don't know, cause I. <clears throat> I was always organized. My brothers would call me a control freak, but you know, that's that's just their perception. You know <laughs> that's but um <laughs> that's just their very wrong perception. Exactly. exactly. And so um and you know, that came out kind of in a part of our healing process when my dad died, which was pretty hilarious because um I never saw myself as that. I think I'm pretty open and you know I, I like to push things forward, and I would define it very differently. And, um, <laughs> it, and so it was it was really interesting because they kind of used that as an excuse not to come around. and but it right. made me look at myself differently, and you know I don't want somebody using that as as an excuse, be it right or wrong. You know, I need to right. change that if it if it is real right. or if it's just their perception. Because it's it's, it's still easier. An issue. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So it was um and I think they'd probably still call me a control freak, but I, I think I've changed a lot. Um they may or may not appreciate how much work I've put into it or not. But <laughs> well, you but know, again, I, I, mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. No, I was
1: just I I think you bring up such a great point. That goes back to that empathy, right? You're talking essentially about empathy, right? Right. You're saying, like, listen, I don't personally feel like the intensity with which you're describing my control tendencies are as bad as as they are in your mind. But honestly, that kind of is wildly irrelevant because Mm -hmm. the reality is you have someone who you love, your siblings. They're telling you, listen, the way that you're acting is making me feel a certain way. Now, whether they're wrong or you're wrong, it kind of doesn't matter because the onus falls on you to bridge the gap for love's sake, right? So you're saying, you know what, because I love you, I'm going to try to understand, and I'm going to try to make changes for love's sake, not to be right, not to be – and to understand like, hey, again, whether it's real or perceived, you're feeling hurt, and I know what it's – or frustrated or whatever it is. And because mm-hmm. I know what it's like to feel frustrated, I know what it's like to be hurt. Even though the catalyst might be different, it's that same emotion, and that, that helps you to identify with that person and gives you the strength to be able to make changes and to keep moving forward in that healing process, you know? And so mm-hmm. I think that's so cool. I mean, that's essentially what you're talking about with your siblings, and that's kind of what we, we – all of us whose family members have been touched by dementia, there's an empathy, right? Like, I think to myself, man, it would be really frustrating if someone tried to convince me that I didn't have kids. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, maybe I should, like, stop pushing her so much and shoving my license in her face and be like, look at this. I mean, not really, but you know what I mean? Like, yes. <laughs> look at this, mom. This is me. <laughs> you know? So yep. uh, it's different, you know?
0: Yeah, it, it, is, it is very interesting. I just think there's so many beautiful lessons wrapped in this disease. Um, you know, being able to not not take everything as black and white and and see the beautiful colors that lay between or or the different stories that could be seen all from, you know, the same view, but yet being perceived differently and, and just going with it and, and saying, Oh, is that what you see? Kind of, I don't know. To me, it almost made life almost like a, an art palette. Where everybody sees something differently and it's it's okay, and that's
1: okay. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, and um and, and to me that's just a, a really really beautiful beautiful lesson, um for for individuals and families to have and and you know how nice would it be if our world, actually could live in that space, you know and and not fight um in in this right or wrong you know, my way or the highway type attitude and just say, oh, that's an interesting point of view or that's a great story or that's a whatever it is and just accept it and and move within it instead of trying to make it your vision of what it's supposed yeah, to be. or
1: just say, you know, I'm not going to engage with you until things are the way I feel like they should be. You know, it's like yeah. withholding affection, withholding relationship, withholding engagement you know, that, 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 that is super unhealthy, you know, but we do it all the time, you know, and so uh, that's one of the big lessons that, you know, I've, I've learned through this journey with my mom's dementia is, is, you know, I can't control, I, I can't make her not have dementia, you know, I can't mm-hmm. make her remember, I can't make her be a mom to me like, like other adult children, friends, of you know, men, friends of mine have moms that, you know, cook them Sunday dinner and, you know, dote on them and kind of do, you know, like I'll never have that, you know, that's, mm-hmm. can't make that a reality. But what I can do is I can, for love's sake, try to make life as good as it possibly can be for her, which interestingly enough, makes life as good as it possibly can be for me when I do that for her,
0: you know? Yep. Well, and I think that's such a big piece that's overlooked in life is that it's not just about us. I mean, I, I know we talk about the me society and stuff, but yeah. again, you know, when others are happy and feel supportive, supported, it it fills your soul and yeah. it gives you this this calmness. You. I think. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. I know my friends would refer to me as the calm one. They're like, nothing really rattles your cage too much anymore. And I'm like, well, in the big picture, you know, it's it isn't worth it because I can't control it. The only thing I can control is my reaction to it. And and you know, not like that's a new statement, but most of us don't really take that to heart. You know, we yeah. just react. And and yeah, if you I... would, oh, go ahead.
1: No,
0: no, no, you finish your statement. I was just going to say, if we would really look deeply at ourselves in terms of, you know, what is our reaction, how does that, you know, how does that reflect not only on us, but how does that make others feel? um, I mean, just what a different world we would be in. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the practice
1: of empathy, you know, it's the practice of empathy. It's really, really so important. And, and to to your – what you just said um, just a few minutes ago um, about, you know, taking it as it is, you know, and trying to find a way to engage with that, um, you know, I, I, I've got a little mantra that, that I kind of often will think about, and it is j- just this. It says do what you can, not what you can't. And so for mm-hmm. me, I have a very logical personality, so um, I just think like, okay, well, if something isn't feasible – then me personally, to keep dwelling on it is kind of silly. Like, Mm -hmm. I think of it as a silly thing. You know, I'm just like, oh. So for me, it's like I try to remember that. Do what you can, not what you can't. So, boom, dementia. Mom's got dementia. Okay, mantra. Do what you can, not what you can't. Okay, what can't I do? Can't make her not Mm -hmm. have dementia? Can't make her do this? Okay, that's out, that's out, that's out, that's out. What can I do? Well, I can visit her, I can try to engage with her, I can kind of educate myself, I can I can do those things. So I'll do mm-hmm. those things. And then all the things that are out of the realm of possibility that are just impossible to do, I will release and not and not kind of struggle with and let weigh on me. I will just move past them. And I'll only focus on what I can do. And I think mm-hmm. you can take that principle and apply it to all things in life you know oh man boom something has happened it's a non-ideal situation whatever it may be okay mantra do what you can not what you can't you know if there's a relational issue you have with someone okay you can't go back in time you can't make them feel a different way but you can think about your role you can try to go to them You can (laughs) try to be heard in a humble and loving way you know like there's things you can do so I think that just kind of helps across the board in, in engaging with difficult circumstances no matter what they are
0: yeah, I, I
1: love.
0: Yeah, I love your mantra. I think that makes makes so much sense. One that I use too is, perfection doesn't exist. You know, it exists for one moment, and we we so badly want everything to be perfect, but very little in life is perfect, and very little yeah. in life was perfect before dementia hit. We just never looked at it like that, and so that's right. You, that is right. You know, that's that's something that you don't need to attain. You know, you're going to spin your wheels, you're going to procrastinate, you're going to do all kinds of stuff, um, waiting for perfection. And just just engage and know that you always have another opportunity to do better, that you can, we can always improve. Even if we hit that perfect for, for a second, we can always improve the next time and make it even better. We can always enrich lives, we can, you know, if, if we consciously engage and um and and I think that that's a really um kind of fun piece and, and gives hope instead of the shame of perfection, you know, or, or having this perfect life or whatever it might be, and exploring exploring the, this new world um with some enthusiasm that there are things to learn. There are moments to cherish. You know, because if you look back at your life, it probably hasn't gone as scripted as you thought it was going to. You've, we've all had huge hurdles to to um, push ourselves through, you know, and it could be relationship, it could be job, it, it could be, I mean, it, the list doesn't end with that yeah. kind of stuff. Things that we felt we haven't been good enough, um, you know, we haven't fit in whatever it might be, and, you know, that's not a perfect life, but that is part of life, and there's huge learning lessons yeah. in, in all of that, and, you know, to learn to, to play again, too, I think it was one of the big lessons, you know, my mom taught me was, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat, they say, <clears throat> you know, or well, I tell yeah. my daughter, my granddaughter now, there's more than one way to do the new math. <laughs> you know, because she wants to do it one way, and I don't know how to do it that way. But I can show you three other ways to do it. <laughs> yeah, when, when you think about it, the more than
1: one way to skin a cat thing is kind of terrible. Like, we should not say that anymore. <laughs> we need to find a new, a new idiom.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, well, you're right. But the, you're
1: absolutely right.
0: Yeah, there is there is more than one way to to um to solve a problem or to, you know, push through something or create something. Um one of the things that I wanted to um talk with you too about was, you know, we're um we've talked about empathy, but what about the vulnerability of of walking alongside the disease with your mom?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, and like specifically in respect to being vulnerable with her or with other people, or what do you mean? Well, I, I, I think
0: all, even even yourself, you know, just being authentic and, and you know feeling whatever it is you need to feel And having those earnest conversations that maybe not everyone's going to agree with. Um, did you go through did you go through that?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I had to be honest with myself about how the disease affected me, and I had mm-hmm. to let myself kind of grieve. Because at first I was like, man, like, I shouldn't be sad because, like, she can't do anything about it. It's not her fault. So, you know, and, and, and or or frustrated or anything like that, you know, and, and I kind of didn't allow myself. Um, but I, I really tried to, and it was difficult for me, but I really kind of very clumsily began to try to practice almost wielding and handling those emotions and naming them and processing through them and knowing like, hey, me feeling upset or frustrated by this situation isn't me being upset with her. It's just me engaging with this emotion in an honest way. And when I began to do that, that really opened up the door you know, you know. In order to get help with something, you have to at least name it first. You have to own it. You have to name it, right? And mm-hmm. so um, I talk to friends, and of course my, you know, my aunt um, has been an, a tremendous help, as as well as um, members um, like friends that we had in South Carolina growing up that weren't family, but they're you know might as well be family that knew mm-hmm. my mom. She was, you know, in, in all those years in my my formative years. Um, And just having that community and just being honest about that process was was truly helpful as well. I mean, I I think vulnerability, in my opinion, is the key to living a vitalized life just in general, right? Mm -hmm. So so whenever you have a situation that feels big and difficult and overwhelming, um, the more vulnerable you can be with trusted people, people that love you and that are close and that have – kind of earn the right to, to be there, you know. Um, mm-hmm. It's going gonna, it's gonna to help you in, in, in every way, and it's going to give you the tools necessary to take that bad thing and to and to build it in, in such a way to where it becomes a thing that moves you forward and it begins to help other people.
0: Now, mm-hmm. so I just had somebody shoot me an email. Maybe were wondering, um, <clears throat> with your mom, do you think she noticed, your changes at all that you were going through in terms of dealing with the disease? Do you think it was at, at any point evident to her that you kind I of became a new person?
1: Sure. I, I personally, of course, I don't know. because I'm not in her brain, but mm-hmm. I don't think my mom did, but that's not because of the dementia. I think that's more to do with the fact that the dementia plus the other stuff that was already present. Because mm-hmm. my mom always has had difficulty um, identifying with the emotions of others, you know. Um, you know, and so, and, and so I, I think that my mom, she is very focused on her world and her reality and what she thinks. And, um, and so the, the nuances, right, of like you're reading someone's body movements, their language, or listening close, that's something that really my mom has never done. Mm -hmm. So I think that she, um, you know, isn't going to start now, obviously. But but Mm -hmm. I know that certainly, though she might not have had a language to explain it and be able to articulate it in that way, I definitely know that the quality of our time together dramatically improved because of Mm -hmm. what I was shifting toward and what I was focusing on when I was with her, and that made it Mm -hmm. more enjoyable for everybody. So I'm sure she at least benefited and, and felt that I know maybe if she, even if she didn't articulate it in quite that way
0: mm-hmm. well and even for you to say you know I, I liked when you said what you were focusing on because again it brings back to I was present with, with what was going on and how it was being done and why it was being done and right. um, I, I think so many times we show up but we're not focused you yep. know yep. when we're when with others and that makes such a Such a huge difference. What type of advice would you have for anyone that has a family member that is diagnosed with dementia?
1: Um, I would say be honest with yourself and do the hard slash heart work up Mm -hmm. front. Don't run from it. Don't avoid it. Process through it, and it's going to suck, and that's okay. That's normal. But once you slog through that, I think that you will be much better equipped more quickly if you do it on the front end um, to maximize that situation and make it as good as it possibly can be. And so just to own your emotions, find trusted people, bring them into your world and process through that stuff. And then just try to take it as it is, try to be the most loving son or daughter or family member or whatever it may be that you possibly can be um, because you, you, you love that parent so much. And so, you, like you said, what did you say? Safe, 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 happy, free. and
0: pain-free. Yeah. I call it my, but, my yeah. memory chip. Is what I call it. Yeah. You and it know, but to
1: try to do that as much as you can, I think is the most important thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And that, it, okay. oh, and one
1: more thing and that it gets easier. It gets yeah. easier the relation it was difficult for me at first, but now, over time, over the past couple of years, as I've been kind of like integrating these these things in, you know it's different. The relationship is different, and you know what chances are it probably won't ever go back to what it was, but mm-hmm. what we have now, though different, is good and mm-hmm. and it's getting better all the time, and so there is hope. That's that's one thing that's important that I really want people to know and feel when faced with this.
0: Yep, Yeah, there's a a lot of hope. Can you talk a little bit about your book, Jacob and the Cloak? Absolutely, absolutely.
1: So, you know, part of the things, you know, lessons that I learned from these experiences that I'm talking, you know, with your listeners about today, um, among other, uh, you know, amidst other things as well that have happened in my life, really, really led me to think long and hard about, emotional health, right? What does it look like? Kind of like, you know, what are the best practices for being a human being? You know, what is the manual? And I started thinking about things like vulnerability, things like empathy, things that I, I, I wondered if, if you practice them, would it make you more loving, more kind, you know? And, uh, and so I began to do research over lots and lots of years. Um, and I interviewed you know, students. I interviewed friends of mine, and uh, just talking about empathy and talking about vulnerability. And uh, and then I, I decided to because I I, I like to write. I, I'm I like to learn. And I like to teach. Right. And so, um, but sometimes you can get lost in your own kind of verbosity. You know, when mm-hmm. you're trying to write academically, it's just you know it sounds pretty eloquent, but. You know, a lot a lot falls through the cracks, you know. So I thought, what, what is the simplest way for me to address this? And I thought, man, I, what about like a little children's fable? Like something that a kid could understand, but that would impact an adult, you know. Kind of like Giving Tree, you know. Giving Tree is such mm-hmm. an amazing book, Shell Silverstein. A kid could read it and get one good lesson out of it, but we read it and we're like, oh, man, wow, you know. And so, and so, um, so I wrote this book, Jacob and the Cloak, with, with that in mind. Um, and it's basically the story – it's not specifically focused on dementia, but it could be because it's basically a metaphorical story about you know, a bear that has – a bad thing happens. And in the book, I'm just, it's just described as you know a very big thing, like a, a, a big kind of hard thing happened. And then from that hard thing, this invisible cloak was dropped on him that he can see and feel, and that kind of disrupts his daily life but no one else can. So they can see him tripping around, but they don't, they don't know why because they don't see a cloak. And mm-hmm. so, and basically the story is him trying to get help with the cloak. And so it's his journey toward vulnerability and fear and shame of like, what will they think if they know, will they, you know, reject me. And so, uh, you know, from a metaphorical kind of imaginative perspective, and then at, le- at least at the end, it finishes with kind of an offer of hope of what could be. You know, as you move down this road, so um, yeah, so that's kind of what the book is, and I'm uh, planning on releasing it next summer uh, two thousand and eighteen, but I have a Kickstarter campaign that I will be launching soon, and I'd really encourage you know if, if this is something that you are interested in or or would be interested in learning more about, please uh, go to and I'm sure this information will be on the podcast and in the info or whatever. Um, on YouTube or however you do it, but um, but it's uh, Jacobandacloak You can go there. There's an email list. Please sign up, and then you'll get updates and notifications on the book's development and when I'm going to be speaking and teaching. If I might be anywhere near you um, on these kinds of things, but but yeah. Okay.
0: It. Wonderful. <laughs> and then you also have an art company too. Um,
1: that is correct. Color
0: Pop Tulsa. So if anyone and I found that really interesting too. You do some cool cool work. Um, so that was very very fun to see. Um and was there some drawings of the book there too? Or was that on that was maybe on the other other website, Jacob and the Cloak?
1: Yeah, there's a few there's a few drawings um from the book on the landing page, the JacobandtheCloak.com. There's not okay. a lot. Um but if you if you go sign up for the email list then i'll send you information on how to get on the facebook page and stuff like that um and so there's there's more information there as well so
0: but they're Wonderful.
1: on the link page
0: okay well great anything else that you'd like to share with our audience at all uh
1: i i would just say you know i this, is, this, this journey in dementia um, has, been, has been difficult, um, but it, it really has shaped me, and I believe it has shaped her as well. And, uh, and I just want to say to all you guys out there that are struggling with these same things, as I said before, it gets better. Don't give up. And, and there is something happening in your heart and in their heart in the waiting and in the struggle it's not like once you get it figured out or once something takes a turn for the better then good stuff starts happening no stuff is happening all the time so be encouraged that even when it feels like something isn't progressing there mm-hmm. is improvement happening there mm-hmm. is progression happening even if it doesn't look like it's like a, a you know a seed in the ground you can't see it but something's happening same
0: same thing mm-hmm. Oh so, yeah. so wonderful. Well, I so appreciate you taking the time to be with us today and I thought this was a very interesting conversation about empathy and vulnerability and acceptance and, and how you you learn uh, to walk the journey with your mom in a gracious gracious way. So um, I, I think the more stories like that we can share um, with one another, the easier it makes for the next guys. You know, journey Um, because there's always something, something we learn from everybody. You know, if we have an open mind and an open heart, that can improve our lives so that we can improve others. So again, thank you so much. If you want to again reach Scott um, Taylor, you can go to his website for the book, and that is uh, Jacob and the Cloak, uh, JacobandtheCloak.com, or his uh, art company. ColourPopTulsa Um, ColourPopTulsa.com And if they want to
1: shoot me an email I was going to say if they want to shoot me an email they can shoot me an email through the website as well and I will get those emails if they want to contact me as well
0: Okay, wonderful Well thank you again for your time today, really appreciate it Scott
1: No, thank you so much for having me I had a blast and uh, I look forward to staying connected and talking with you again at some point
0: Sounds good. I'd love to hear when the, when the book kicks out, so um, we can maybe do another show just specifically on that when you're through.
1: Okay? Yeah, I'd love that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay, okay I'll talk to you later. Okay,
0: Thank bye you. Bye-bye. Bye now. Before wrapping up, I just want to give you some um, highlights. I'll be putting out a new Dementia Chats here um, probably by the weekend, but it'll be really interesting. It's about how people with dementia um, should communicate with others, and there's some helpful tips for once you get diagnosed uh, to make life a little bit, a little bit easier. So much of what we talk about is the focus of uh, care partners and how they should interact with us, um, and so. Uh, I think it will just be a little different perspective that will be very interesting. also wanted to give a shout-out to um, the Memory Cafe directory. They're just doing a wonderful job at tracking all the Memory Cafes um, around the country, and they've put it in a very, very uh, simple fashion to find. So just go to memorycafe.com. Also, want to give a shout-out to the Purple Table Reservations who is starting a movement on training restaurants how to be dementia-friendly. Uh, and Jennifer is just doing an absolutely fantastic job with that, you can just go ahead and, and Google them and they will pop right up. Um, I also want to give a shout out to the American Senior Magazine, which has a, a great magazine, wonderful articles, large print, and it's all about um, you know aging with purpose and um, really being proactive in terms of uh, developing that stage of life. On our website, alzheimerspeaks.com, you can always download our helpful tips for communication as well. So please feel free to go ahead and do that, and we will talk to you all next week. Uh, Have a blessed holiday season, everyone. Talk soon. Bye now.